good to be back this morning. I've been thinking about heaven this week because of the obvious reasons, I think. Um, uh, <clears throat> I don't preach a lot about heaven. I don't think I've ever preached a message here on heaven. I went back through messages from the past, and I found two messages in 25 years that I preached on heaven. I didn't preach either one of those here. There's a reason for that. Um, one, I, I probably subscribe to the theory that you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I've, that, sounds, that sounds like my preaching, doesn't it? I mean, obviously heaven is a real, real thing, and, but I can be so otherworldly minded that I'm, I'm not being used by God right here. And it seems like to me as I read God's word, there's a whole lot more in here about the here and now and being his person in the here and now than in, in the whatever heaven will be like. And, and, and then when we have descriptions of heaven, they're so fantastic and so hard to imagine. Um, there's so much different interpretation on what a lot of it means. And let me tell you, no matter who you read after, it's interpretation. It's no one knows, uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I think it's beyond our mental capabilities to, to understand a lot of that. So when John was given a, a glimpse of heaven and he saw streets of gold, was that actual streets of gold or was that what his brain could process then? I don't know. I don't know. So I, don't, I like to preach about the stuff I know about and can feel dogmatic about. So that's probably one of the reasons that I kind of avoid sermons on heaven, but I'm not going to today. Um, uh, in, in the series on promises of God, um, is there any greater promise? <laughs> is there any greater promise that we have than the promise of heaven? Uh, um, in fact, let me ask you a question. Maybe no one's ever asked you before. If there was not the promise of heaven, would you be a Christian? Think about that. If there was not the promise of heaven, if we had a lot of stuff in this book about how you're supposed to live and and all of that, but there was nothing about any afterlife. You just, you die, you die, and you go to the ground and whatever. There was a lot about how you're supposed to live. All that is still included in there. Would you still be a Christian? I heard an old preacher on <clears throat> a Wednesday night Bible study at Wilmore United Methodist Church when I was in seminary. He said one of those preacher things that Harold has heard a lot, and the preacher says, if there wasn't a Heaven to gain or a hell to shun, I'd still be a Christian. And I started thinking about that. and Because and I'd never processed that in my life. He says, because I would do that because of what it's done for me in my life. And I, I get that 1,000%. I understand what he's saying. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about resurrection from the dead, says if the dead are not raised... Well, let's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Seeming to indicate that if, if the dead had not be raised, well, let's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. 
So would you be a Christian? If there was not, it sounds super spiritual for me to say, yeah, I'd still be a Christian. But I, I don't know. If the dead be not raised, if the dead be not raised, let's just eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we we die. So I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about God's greatest promise that he has for us. Now listen, I'm not going to say a whole lot today that you don't already know because I'm not going to go into any any elaborate uh, interpretations of weird stuff that that is spoken of in the Bible. I, I just leave those alone because I, I, I just, it's just, my interpretation is no better than Harold's interpretation. And Harold's interpretation is no better than John's interpretation. And, 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 and I just, I want to give you stuff that I know. And so I'm, I'm going to talk to you today about what we can know. It's about what the Bible speaks plainly about. No one doesn't need any interpretation, doesn't need anybody's theory about this and anybody's theory about that. And there's all all kinds of stuff like that on heaven. I just want to speak basic what the Bible says about heaven that is non-negotiable, that is, is um, you can't refute it because it's so plain uh, in God's word. There's so many, there's so many uh, scriptures about heaven and the promise of heaven. Uh, I don't know when I learned the 23rd Psalm, but uh, most of us, if we were raised in church, we learned that early on. And the very last verse of the 23rd Psalm says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days in my life. And even as a youngster, we learn that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So even as a very young person, the hope of heaven and the promise of heaven was laid out there before us. I want to open with something that I'm going to say this morning that is not going to be a revelation for you, but it's something I can dogmatically say about heaven. I can dogmatically say about heaven that heaven is a real place. It's a real place. It's not a, it's not a figment of anybody's imagination. You don't die and somehow you, you are live in some kind of fantasy land and you live in some altered consciousness and it's, not, it's, it's, a, it's a firm place. It, heaven is a place just like Xenia, Ohio is a place. If Xenia, Ohio is a place, if New York City is a place, if Philadelphia is a place, heaven's a place. Heaven, heaven is a real place. It's not a state of being. It's not a state of being. It's a very real place. I can dogmatically from God's word, say that if I believe God's word, God has inspired the writers to write in such a way that they wanted us to believe that heaven is a real place. Now, for me to say that heaven is a state of being and some altered consciousness and not a real place, then I have to go outside of God's word to get that. But there's no question that the, God has inspired the writers for, to write in such a way that we would take it and that we would believe that heaven is a real place. Jesus said in John 14, near Jesus's death himself, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. You believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. Now, if you're as, as old as I have, you don't like that translation, do you? Because it's hard to be able to sing about my room over, over the hilltop. 
And some of you that followed the Happy Goodmans, you couldn't really sing that I own a clear title to a mansion that Jesus has gone to prepare. But rooms is a good, can I be honest with you and, and, and poke a hole in your bubble here? It's a better translation than mansions was. Human being put mansion in there because he was trying to say, well, room, you're not going to have a room in heaven. You've got to have something better than a room. And so they were using their own. But as you find that same exact Greek word used in other places in the Bible, it simply means a dwelling place. That's all it means. It means nothing more than that. It doesn't mean a fantastic dwelling place. It doesn't mean a mansion. It means a, a, an abode, a domicile, a, a, a place where someone resides. That's what it means. That's as good as you can get. And as you, as you pass that word through in other places in the Bible, that's the way it always gets translated. To put mansion to that is to put heaven in that. And, you, and, and I understand all of that. That's fine. That's fine. It, it just don't, it don't sound as good. and It doesn't sing as good. My father's house has many rooms. That we're not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me that, where you, also, that, that you also may be where I am. Three times the word place is there. It's the Greek word topos. It literally means a geographical place. That's what it means. Other places in the Bible, that same word is used. And every time, it means a geographical place. It, 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 it means, it, it means a, um, a, a region. Sometimes it's referred to as a region. Sometimes you could, you could say it, right? Well, I'm going, well, I've, I've got to go. I'm going to my place. It's a good, that would be a good way to use that word. So, so, so if, it's not a, if it's not a real place, Heaven is not a real place. Then they used a word there, tapos, that gets translated place, that everywhere else in the Bible, it's translated a real place. So, so why would you translate it everywhere else one way and then use it in a different way here? And, and you go to prepare. You don't prepare a state of being. You don't prepare a figment of your imagination. You don't prepare some altered consciousness. It, it says here in other places that he's gone to prepare this place. I'm here to tell you this morning that I can tell you dogmatically. I don't know a lot about heaven. There's a lot I don't know about. My mind can't conceive. My mind doesn't have the brain capacity, neither does yours, to be able to fully comprehend what the Bible has told us about heaven and a lot of what John's vision was of heaven in the book of the Revelation. But I can tell you that heaven is a real place. I can dogmatically tell you that heaven is a real place, just like Xenia, Ohio is a real place. It's not just sitting in nirvana. It's not utopia. In fact, utopia, in fact, utopia is, is, means no place. Literally, if you, if, you take, if you break apart that word utopia, it means no place. So if you're in utopia, it's not a place. It's just, a, it's just something in your head. It's no place. This is a place where there, are, where there is a dwelling place. There is an, a, a place that you will reside in my father's house, you will reside in a place. What does that really mean, Mark? I don't know. What kind of place is going to be, Mark? I don't know. Okay? Now you, you can pay some guy $5,000 to come in on a weekend and give you a, a seminar on heaven. He'll tell you what kind of place what it is, but it's, but it's all speculation. It's all speculation. He doesn't know either. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, when... 
the writer to Hebrews is talking about all the saints that have gone on before us. Says they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You don't talk about that unless you're talking about real places, geographical places. He has prepared a city for them. Paul speaks in Philippians chapter 3 that our citizenship, that we are citizens of that city. That we are, our citizenship is in heaven. First Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. Peter writes, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. Resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And to, listen, and to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept. Is kept. What does that mean, Mark? I don't know. But the writer is trying to tell me that there is something waiting for me in this place. What is your inheritance? I can know what my earthly inheritance is. I can get that. But what is it that I will inherit from my adopted father, my heavenly father? What do I inherit from him? A heavenly home other than that. I can't go much farther than that. But Peter says, I have an inheritance that you have an inheritance as a Christian, that you have an inheritance that's being kept for you right now in heaven. And when the, this real place concept sometimes is hard for people to grasp because when you read about heaven, when the Bible does speak of heaven, it speaks with it in such great language, streets of gold type of language. And so we can't even imagine streets of gold and all that kind of stuff. So it's easy for one person to say, well, that's just, you know, it'll just look, it'll just be an altered state of consciousness, you know, streets of gold. <laughs> Heard an old preacher tell a story one time. Said a guy died and he's going to heaven and he told the Lord, he said, I want to take a suitcase with me. And the Lord said, no, I can't take anything to heaven with you. The guy said, oh, please, I just want to take one suitcase with me. And this, this guy is such a faithful Christian. He said, okay, I'll let you take one suitcase with you. So he packed his suitcase. And he packed his suitcase so, so full, and he just like he had to drag it up to the pearly gates. Got to the pearly gates, and Peter said, what are you doing, man? You know you can't take anything into heaven. And so oh, I talked to the Lord. And the Lord gave me special permission to take this suitcase in. And Peter said, well, I never heard of that before, but if you say that he did, I'll take your word for it. What's in that suitcase? And they unzipped that suitcase. And inside that suitcase, there were bars of gold. And Peter looked at him. You brought pavement to heaven? You brought pavement? heaven even though it's tough for us to understand that we don't have the brain capacity to be able to imagine it heaven is a real place it's also and it's not going to surprise anybody but heaven is an occupied place heaven is an occupied place it's where God is 
Psalm 33, verse 13 and 14 tells us that. It, it tells us that, that, that the Lord of heaven, from the heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind from his dwelling place. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. Acts chapter 7, Stephen saw his vision of heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand. You see that several places in scripture. Jesus standing at the right hand. Now, how's that work out, Mark? You got the, the Holy Spirit and you got Jesus and you got God, you got the Trinity, but, and they're all one and Jesus at the right hand. And how's all that work out, Mark? I don't know. I assume this is still the incarnate Jesus. But several places, right hand of the Father. There are angels in heaven. Hebrews chapter 20, 22, 12, verse 22 says there are thousands upon thousands of, of angels in joyful assembly. You, you, I've heard people say, because there's all kinds of folklore about heaven. I hear, you know, talk about you'll become an angel. You won't become an angel. There's nothing in the Bible about that. There's nothing in the Bible about that at all. But there are thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Luke chapter 23, verse 43 Jesus turned to the thief on the cross and said, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. There are people in heaven. Well, when they go to heaven, Mark, do they, they stay in the ground um, sometime and then they get called up at the last trumpet? Or are they called up and they've got all this other stuff? And you've got a whole bunch of people that are called soul sleepers. They believe in the soul sleep. And I don't even, not even I should even brought that up. I'm not even going to go there. And, but Jesus turned to the thief, and he said, today. So everybody, anybody, anytime anybody comes to me and says, well, Mark, what do you think about them people that believe they call themselves soul sleepers? I, I turn and Jesus to the, to the cross and says, Jesus on the cross looked at the thief and said, today. Let me tell you something. If it's not literally today, if it's not literally today, It'll seem like it's today because I don't think there's any time in heaven. There's no concept of eons and thousands of years and all that kind of stuff. He turned to the thief and said, today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. The word paradise literally means park, park. So when Jesus, in this case, when Jesus tried to describe what heaven's like, he used a word that literally means a park. I'm trying to tell you that heaven is an occupied place. That's where God is, where Jesus is, where angels are. It, it, it's, it's where man is. How many men and women are there? Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says this. John was given his revelation, vision of heaven. And this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes. You see people draw pictures of heaven. It's white. Everything's white in heaven. I don't think everything's white in heaven. I think God likes color to be quite honest with you. Okay. But you always see it's always painted white. And this is why this place and another place, they talk about whiteness, white robes. And this is why people get carried away with that. And they paint everything white in heaven. I think God loves color. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches. So how many? There's, there's a whole bunch and they can't even be counted. From every tribe, every, every single tribe, every tongue, every kindred. Well, how come they were there? 
Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 tells us that their names were written down in the book of life. Other places, this is called the Lamb's book of life. So I guess we can all figure out why God's there and why Jesus is there and why angels there. That, we can kind of get our, our little pea brains around that, okay? And, but why human beings were there and why are they there? They're there because their names were written down in the Lamb's book of life. And there are names that are there and there are names that are not there. What the Bible says. What's the Lamb's Book of Life look like? Is it, a, is it a literal book that I don't have any clue and won't waste a single minute thinking about that? The Bible says there's a Lamb's Book of Life where the names of the people that are allowed into heaven are written there. So we go to heaven. What kind of body do we have? If our names are in, if our names are in that book, what kind of bodies will we have in heaven? Well, it, 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 many places in Scripture it talks about a, a glorified body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 44 speak to this a little bit so it will be with the resurrection of the dead the dead the body that is sown is perishable we all get that it's perishable but it'll be raised imperishable it is sown in dishonor not 100 percent sure what that means but it'll be raised in glory it is sown in weakness it'll be raised in power it's sown as a natural body. It'll be raised as a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Um, we will have glorified bodies in heaven. How are we going to be in heaven? I have no clue and I don't care. Ask me something important. Okay? I, I, I don't think that little babies who died are still going to be little babies. I have nothing to base that on. And I don't think Nelson Goodlett is going to be walking around with a walker and be 96. I heard some preacher, heard some preacher one time trying to prove that we'll all be 33 in heaven because that's how old Jesus was when he died. Now, friends, that's ridiculous. Maybe we are 33 in heaven, but you can't prove that. I can't bank anything on that. The Bible says we have a glorified body. What's that body going to be like? I'm not sure. I can kind of, Jesus in his glorified body, he ate. So he wasn't like a vapor or a ghost that just kind of floated around. He ate. He, he had a body. He showed people scars on his hands. So in whatever kind of body he had, it was still some look like kind of a body, but it will be a glorified body. I'm sure, unlike anything we've ever seen before, I, I heard an old preacher tell a story trying to describe this. And he said a guy went to heaven and, and Peter was giving him a tour around and they were walking around and Peter was showing him the sights and out in the distance he saw what looked like to be a person, but it, it didn't look like all the other people for some reason. It was just beautiful and it was just glowing and it was just breathtaking and and so the guy's Peter is that Jesus Peter says no that's, that's not Jesus Jesus is here you'll see Jesus but that's not Jesus is it really is it, is it Moses no it's not Moses he's, he's over there but it's it's not Moses 
And as they kept getting closer and still far enough away, couldn't tell male, female, and all that kind of stuff, he said, is that, is that Mary? Mother of Jesus? And no, no, it's not Mary. And being a good Methodist, the guy goes, is that John Wesley? He said, no, 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 no. It's not John Wesley. He said, well, who is it? He said, let's, let's get closer. And so they walked closer. And as they got closer, the figure came to him. And even, even though he was obviously getting closer, he, getting closer didn't, didn't help him figure out who it was. And it was beautiful and it was majestic and had no words to describe it. And so finally got really close and the figure reached out his hand to the newcomer in heaven, reached out his hand and says, Hi, I'm a thief on the cross. The old preacher told that story, trying to make us understand a little bit about the glorified body for even the thief on the cross. It's a, it's a, it's a real place. It's a occupied place. And finally, I could say a whole lot more about heaven. I just don't have time. It's a prepared place, though. Can I say that? It's a prepared place. And you know where the scripture is in John 14. I've already read it to you that he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. Literally, Jesus says, what does that mean? And does that mean there wasn't a heaven before Jesus left? And I don't even know what it means, but it means that my Savior has gone to prepare a place for me. And anything that, that Jesus does... He, he, he does really well. So when the Bible describes this prepared place for us, it uses really weird words. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 there. And I've already quoted this verse from you in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, no eye has seen and no ear had heard and, <clears throat> and, what, and no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So, so, so it's hard to be able to understand these things. Our mind doesn't have the brain capacity to be able to, to understand totally what God has prepared for us. But he gave John, a human being, a glimpse. And that helps us, but it's still, as you, as you, as you read the book of Revelation, it's still kind of weird. And let's just be honest with one another. It's just kind of weird. But it, it, it was what God allowed John to see. I'm going to read you a passage from Revelation chapter 4 that it may be a while since you've read this. And it's a longer passage than I like to read. But I think it's the most succinct passage of, of the otherness that is this prepared place for us. John chapter 4 says, <clears throat> After this I looked, and there before me, John speaking, a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I, heard, I first heard speaking to me was like a trumpet. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had an appearance of a jasper and ruby. Does that mean that person was made out of jaspers and rubies or does that mean that that's when John saw 
it looked like shining, sparkling bright like Jasper. I don't even know what a Jasper is, to be honest with you. Jasper is somebody from Kentucky, for all I know. <laughs> Jasper and rubies. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne, there was 24 other thrones. And seated on them, and that were 24 elders. What does that mean? I don't know. Never, won't waste a second worrying about it. Because the Bible has already said that my mind can never conceive what God has prepared. So I'm not going to waste a second of Bible study trying to figure out what 24 elders means. I'd much rather spend that time of Bible study learning how to treat my wife as a Christian should. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and pearls of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. What are that? I don't know. They were the spirits, seven spirits of God. I have no clue. I have no clue. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne, there were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. I've heard people preach on this and try to tell you what they thought the four living creatures are, and it's just interpretation. It's conjecture. We don't know. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had the face of a man, the fourth had like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. This could not have been just any old vision because of the specificity that John says. They had eyes all over and even under their wings. So their specificity... This is just not something that John gets carried away. He saw some things that you couldn't have made up. How would you make up a being that had eyes all over his wings and under? You wouldn't make that up if you're trying to make something up. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Passage continues and said, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. It's a prepared place. It's unlike any other place you can imagine. It's described in fantastic ways, even with specificity, to probably just the little bit that God allowed John to see. 21, 18, and 19 of of Revelation says this, the wall was made of pure jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third, I don't even know what that is. Who's a jeweler around here? How do you pronounce that? Agate? I don't have any idea what that is. The fourth emerald. The Bible is so fantastic in its presentation of heaven. It goes into great lengths to, to try to tell you, but it's almost like it, it runs out of words, and they have to tell you things that are, start telling you things that are not in heaven. It's almost like the, 
it's, it's, it's almost like I, I know that people ain't going to understand this and no way <clears throat> they can comprehend this. Maybe I'll relate to them a little bit better if I start telling them what's not in heaven. And so in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, the Bible says, In heaven he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There'll be no mourning, no crying, no pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Another place in Revelation says there is no night because the Son himself is the light. There is no night in heaven. So I did like most people when they try to imagine like songwriters have done and all they try to take this no thing, no tears, no sorrow and all that kind of stuff. They keep extrapolating that out. This is not scripture. This is Mark. In heaven, there's no regret. There's no remorse. There's no bitterness in heaven. There's no misunderstanding. Old Southern Gospel song said that. There is a place where there is no misunderstanding. Vestal Goodman sang that. No misunder- Can you imagine that? No misunderstanding. A lot of the problems that we have one from another are misunderstandings. Or just mi- that we just misunderstand one another. We come from two different. There'll be no misunderstandings. We will know as we're known, the Bible says. There's no misunderstandings. There's no anxiety. There's no depression. There's no worry. There's no fear. There's no divorce. There's no temptation. I wrote these two things down, and, and, and maybe it's not true. <laughs> I wrote down there's no hunger and thirst, but I got thinking, well, I like to eat. <laughs> there's no drugs. There's no shame. There's no loneliness. There's no apologies or need to be. There's no eyeglasses in heaven. There's no braces. There's no wheelchairs. There's no false teeth in heaven. Some of you get excited about this. There's no bald heads in heaven. There's no hearing aids in heaven. There's no crutches. There's no hospitals or nursing homes in heaven. There's no paramedics. There's no CPR in heaven. Doctors will have to find another job. No doctors in heaven. There's no Tylenol in heaven. There's no accidents, no car accidents, there's no cancer, there's no heart attacks. No one grows old and feeble. I guess I, I, guess I don't know that. I guess at least we, you won't have the effects of growing old. I, I don't know. Maybe you, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't, it's hard you know, I've, I've offered in my humanity thought about heaven. You know, the song says when we've been there 10,000 years. You know, it's just like the start of it, you know. In, in my humanity thinking, there's got to be an end to this somewhere. Right? Did you ever thought that thought? How can it just go on and on 
Because everything we know has an ending. We've no less days to sing God praise than when we first started on 10,000 years. So does that mean there's no time? There's no concept of time? There's no concept that you've been there 1,000 years or 10,000 years? But I know one thing, you won't grow old, at least with the effects of growing old, that we all see here. You know cemeteries in heaven? You know funerals in heaven? Hmm. Heaven is a prepared place. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is an occupied place. I'm not told you anything that you don't really know, but I've tried to tell you what I understand and can be dogmatic about. That is just not left up to interpretation, in my opinion. Heaven is a prepared place. Spurgeon had a sermon that said, Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And when you hear that prepared people, it it's, makes you think about you know what you've got to do and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to preach a couple of funerals here in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, for Brad, I'll just, I'll just talk about what a great guy he was. And, and, and that's, we should do that at funerals. And, and we'll just, Brad, Brad was one of the good guys, man, as good as they come. And, and I'll, we'll talk about that. And people that will, people that will, Speak of him. We'll talk about his goodness. I appreciate Cody being here today. Other family back. I appreciate that. And sometimes you talk about how good the person was, and some people can think, well, they were so good. I'm sure they went to heaven. <laughs> but then I, I'll, I'll stop and say, you know, no matter what kind of a guy this was, they didn't get him into heaven. Seven is a prepared place for prepared people. There's preparation. There's something has to happen to me and even though I can't fully explain what it is 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says God made him that's Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Jesus in him we may become the righteousness of God what does that mean I think it means that there's something has to be some kind of change or we can't hang out in heaven as I looked back at some of the sermons I preached I said heaven is a place where God's glory is and you have to be God proofed to get to heaven you just can't hang out as a mortal in heaven his glory will burn you up and maybe this God proofing is the righteousness of God that we have in him in in Jesus and if I have that righteousness of God not from my good works but because of my faith and trust in what another has done for me then I have the righteousness of God and I can hang out in heaven and not be consumed by his holiness. So that's why every, every Sunday we, we receive communion. I, I look forward to the day. I hope we can do it around the altar. I thought that was always a precious time for us. And I trust that there'll be a day we can do that again. And up until then, we'll do the best we can. And so my question for you is that, is your name today written in the Lamb's book of life? It has to be. And the only way I know that it can get written there 
after a, a lifetime of trying to understand this word is through faith and trust in what Jesus has done for us. It's the only way that I can see it. The only way I can see it. And so we remind ourselves that this is really not about us. Every single Sunday when we take something that represents his body and this represents what he did for us. He died for us. He did something that we could not do so we could have something that would allow us to go to heaven, to have our name to be in the Lamb's book of life, to have the righteousness of God. And Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, took the bread and said, eat this. Then we also take a symbol of his death. He really died. He really, really died. He bled and died, not for himself, but for me and for you. And the Lamb's book of life are the people that put faith and trust in what that metaphorical lamb did for us. He said to drink this in remembrance of him. Father, I don't think I've said too much stuff today that people didn't already know. I may have reminded them of some things. But my mind's been on heaven this week. And the place that it is, a real place, an occupied place, a, a prepared place. But a place that it seems like in your word says it'll... It'll wait till when our time comes. It'll be there for us. And so while we're here now, you've told us to conduct ourselves in a certain way. That conducting ourselves in, in, in a certain way is not our interest in heaven. That's our faith and trust in what your son did for us. But you've told us to be about your business. And we all work that out in different ways. So, Father, as we're about your business... May we, um, every now and then, just get a little happy because of what's waiting for us. Just every now and then, in our normal life, give us a little thought, give us a little glimpse of what's waiting for us. Father, I know there's so many questions that I didn't answer today about heaven, and I don't have time, but I don't have ability to answer a lot of them. Father, take what I've done today and may it spawn, spawn action on someone's behalf if they have not, if they're not sure that their name is written down. May it happen even as I pray right now that they put all faith, all hope in their afterlife, not in any goodness of their own, but in goodness of Jesus and what he's done for all of us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.